0: Today, I'm concluding my message series that we've been looking at, preaching on the miracles of Jesus. In fact, in John's gospel that we've been looking at, John records seven such miracles of Jesus Christ. And John calls these miracles miraculous signs because they point us to who Jesus was and, number two, what Jesus came to do. In fact, at the very end of the gospel... John says this in chapter 20, verse 31. But these things I have written to you, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing on Him, you may have life in His name. So John recorded these miracles, and I have been preaching on these miracles so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. That He is the Son of the living God. Now, if you've been coming the last few weeks and you're here today, and you have never been saved, you've never invited Jesus into your heart, I believe that after looking at these seven miracles, you have been given all of the evidence that you need that you should take Jesus seriously. Okay, And you've been given all the information you need so that you can trust in His name and receive Him as your Savior. Now, if you're already saved, along with that, you have been given all the evidence that you need to keep trusting in Jesus. And no matter what happens in your life, you have seen through these miracles that Jesus has the power over life itself so that no matter what you're facing, Jesus is greater than any problem that you have. I I want you to stop right now and think about The power of Jesus Christ and how it was demonstrated in every realm of the human existence in these miracles that we've studied. For example, Jesus' power was demonstrated in the social realm when He rescued a wedding from disaster by turning water into wine. Jesus' power was demonstrated in the natural realm when He calmed the Sea of Galilee. His power was demonstrated in the material realm when he turned a little boy's sack lunch into a feast for over 12,000 people. All right? 5,000 men, plus women, plus kids, at least 12,000 people there that day. They didn't have a single thing to eat and they were hungry. When the disciples searched through the crowd, they found one little boy. I see Hunter back there, my little buddy. Hunter, raise your hand up. You can do it. Go ahead, brother. Right there, Hunter, right back there. No, he doesn't want to raise his head. I love you, Hunter. Little kid Hunter size right there. He had a sack lunch, five loaves and two little minnows. And Jesus turned that into a feast for 12,000 people with enough left over that filled up 12 baskets. But we don't stop there with the power of Jesus. His power was demonstrated in the physical realm in miracle after miracle. Example, when he gave health to a sick boy. Remember, his father came looking for Jesus and Jesus healed him long distance. Then when he gave strength to a paralyzed man who couldn't walk, Jesus said, take up your bed and walk. He gave sight to a blind man, been blind since his birth. But Jesus gave him sight and then ultimately the greatest miracle of all when he gave life to a dead man. Woo! Lazarus that we're going to look at again today. And Jesus did all of that to demonstrate that he had ultimate power in the spiritual realm to bring eternal life to those of us who are spiritually dead. So open your Bibles again this morning to John chapter 11. Last week and this week we're focused on the last of the seven miracles that John records. The raising of Lazarus from the dead. Now let me remind you what's going on here. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were siblings. They were great friends of Jesus Christ. Lazarus, the brother, becomes gravely ill... And so his sisters sent word to Jesus, who was actually in another town about a day's walk away. And here's what they said, verse 3 of chapter 11. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And when Jesus heard that news, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified through it you you need to keep that in mind in fact verse 4 the one i just read is the key verse in understanding this the most spectacular miracle of jesus you see upon learning of lazarus's illness jesus didn't go immediately to help him in fact Jesus deliberately delayed his trip to Bethany where Lazarus lived. So by the time Jesus arrived four days later, Lazarus was already dead and buried in the tomb. He had been there for how many days? Four days. And when he arrived in Bethany, one of the sisters, Martha, ran out to meet Jesus. And let's read of this encounter beginning in verse 21. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. So there is the conversation with the first sister, Martha, and and it's a It's a deep conversation. We're going to come back and tag this conversation and talk about it a little later on in the message. But immediately after this, the other sister, Mary, comes out to where Jesus is and and she basically says the same thing to Jesus, but it's an entirely different scenario with a completely different outcome. Let me read of her discussion with Jesus beginning in verse 32. Then... When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet. That was Mary's normal position, at the feet of Jesus. And she said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in his spirit. And was troubled. You might underscore that either in your Bible or mentally. What was Jesus doing in his spirit? He was groaning. He was moaning. He was, he was deeply upset over this situation. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, say it with me. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind... Also have kept this man from dying. Then Jesus again groaning in himself. There it is the second time Jesus was groaning. Came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was laying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. And there you have it. Can I say, wow? Man, this is awesome stuff. I just want to clap right here and give God a hand and Jesus a hand for what he did. This is a spectacular miracle. Lazarus was dead. He had been in the tomb how long? Four days. The Bible said his body was stinking. But yet, even in that dead state... Just by the powerful word of Jesus, he walked out of that tomb. Man, isn't that awesome? It really is. I like to visually see some of the stuff that happened in the Bible. And many, many artists through the years have drawn pictures of this great event. Here is one that was uh, drawn in the 13th century uh, by an Italian artist by the name of Duccio. Duccio. Uh, it, it is entitled The Raising of Lazarus. In fact, this particular uh, a portrait is on display at the Kimball Art Museum in Fort Worth, Texas at the time. It, it, it is a great picture. You can, you can see Jesus. He's kind of got the thing around his head there, and Mary is kneeling down, and Martha's standing beside him. Of course, there's Lazarus. They've already taken the grave cloth off of his face. The, the dude that stands out to me, though, is the guy in the, the gold or, or yellow cape with the black socks on. Right there at the tomb door. Notice what he's doing. Hey, he's holding his nose, man. I mean, that, to, you know what? This, this just speaks to me of the reality of what happened here. This guy's been dead for four days. And he's come out of the tomb. Isn't that great, man? That's just a. Uh, Duccio. What a great picture, man. You know what? As I think about that and I see that, don't you think that caused a stir? In the little town of Bethany? I mean to tell you, it was was a happening place around Mary and Martha and Lazarus' house. When word got out what Jesus did, man, here came all the people of the town. They wanted to see this. They had known Lazarus growing up. They knew that he died four days ago. Now to see him alive, wow, what a spectacular event. The, The Canaan News Network was there, CNN. You know? They were there, and I'm, I'm sure they had a press conference with O Lazarus, and they were interviewing him, asking him all of these questions. And I'm sure that's all he could talk about, the miracle that God did in his life. And he kept pointing to and focusing on the one who had the power to do it, his friend, Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to remember, church, we've got to see all of this through the lens of our key verse, which is verse number 4. This sickness is not unto death, Jesus said, but it is for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And as I said last week, what Jesus was doing up in verse 4, even before Lazarus died, Jesus was calling his shop, man. Jesus was orchestrating this entire event from Lazarus' sickness to his death to Jesus' delay in going to them to this great crowd of curious people who had gathered to mourn with the family. All of this is being orchestrated by Jesus Christ for a very specific purpose. And Jesus tells us what that purpose is. For God's glory and so that the Son of God might be glorified. I mean, that's it right there. Jesus said all of this is happening so God can get the glory. And so that the Son of God, Jesus himself, could be exalted and lifted up. Jesus even continued to say in verse 42 as he's praying to God. He says, God do this because of the people that they may believe that you have sent me. And and you know what church, listen to me. For God's glory and so that Jesus can be exalted. That's true of everything that happens in our life. Whether it's good or bad or ugly. And we may expect to see the glory of God in all of the circumstances of our life because that's how God works. Now, I said last week that the glory of God is the outshining of all of His marvelous attributes. And Jesus is saying that as a result of this heartbreaking situation, these people are going to see things about God, and they are going to see things about Jesus Christ that they would not have otherwise seen. That's why all this is happening. So that God can be glorified, so that Jesus can be exalted, and so that people can believe. Now, there are at least two ways that God's glory in Jesus Christ shines through this experience. We looked at the first one last week, and I'm going to come back and revisit it. That is, the glory of God is seen in the fact that Jesus loves us. The love of Jesus for us is incredible. I mean, you can't read this chapter without knowing that John intends for us to see the glory of God in the love that Jesus had for these three people and that he has for us, even when we suffer. Last week we saw this in various places through this story. Jesus spent a whole lot of time in the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He loved these three people. And they knew that Jesus loved them. But Jesus loved them even more than they realized. And that explains, at least for me, why Jesus didn't go immediately to Lazarus when he first heard that Lazarus was sick. Jesus desired the very best for them. That's how deep his love was for them. And because Jesus desired the best for them, Lazarus had to die so that they could see the power of God and that they might believe. Now, this passage contains the shortest verse in our English Bible. It's John chapter 11, verse 35. And that verse simply says, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. I believe Jesus wept for several reasons, but the main reason Jesus wept is because he loved his buddy. I mean, Jesus loved Lazarus. That's why it says two times in this passage, Jesus was groaning in his spirit. It's because of the great love he had for his friend. What tender mercy and compassion that Jesus had in his heart for those who were grieving around. The mourners who had come to be with the family noticed Jesus' groaning and the tears that he had in his eyes. And that's why it says in verse 36, they said, see how he loved him. Notice how Jesus loved him. But listen, church. Jesus loves you just as personally as he loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Jesus loves you just as tenderly as he loved them. Jesus loves you just as fervently as he loved them. And Jesus feels your pain just as deeply as he felt the pain of his friends in John chapter 11. Now, I said last week that God's love for us is not a pampering kind of love. Remember me saying that? I think I made some of you mad. But you know what? It's not. God doesn't pamper us. He doesn't pamper us. That's not the kind of love he has for us. His love is a purifying love. A purifying love. Sometimes he sends us through the fire so that we will come out on the other side like pure gold. And the only way you can be pure is by going through the fire. A pampering love doesn't send their children through the fire. God's love does because it's a purifying love. But it's also a perfecting love. He loves us in a tough way. Because He's wanting to perfect us into the very image of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's why God sometimes allows His children to go through painful experiences. That's one way that John chapter 11 is fulfilled. And the glory of God in the face of Jesus is seen. It's by the love that Jesus has for us. I can't say it enough. Jesus loves you. I don't care who you are or where you're from. I don't care what's happened in your past or where you're standing today. Jesus loves you deeply, more than you'll ever know. But there's another way that the glory of God is on display here. Not only through the love that Jesus has for us, but by the power that Jesus demonstrated over death. When you put these two qualities together, love and power, you've got a mighty mixture I mean, this is awesome. If God loved us, but He didn't have the power to intervene for us against our enemies, we wouldn't believe in Him. And on the other hand, if God had the power to do great things, but He didn't do it out of love, then we wouldn't trust Him. But the glory of God is seen in this perfect mixture of both of these qualities. He loves us, and He's got the power to show it. (laughs) Now, I want to read again this life-changing truth that Jesus spoke into Martha's life, this woman's life, as she faced what she thought was an irreversible tragedy in her life, the death of her brother. Just look again at this conversation between Martha and Jesus, verse 21. Now, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. Now, Mary makes a similar statement later on. And I think both of these women were thinking wrong, all right? They made the mistake of thinking that Jesus only had the power to heal somebody when they were alive. But Jesus' power was greater than that. And the circumstances took them into a realm where where they would discover that God's power through Jesus Christ was greater than anything they could have ever dreamed or imagined. Verse 22, she went on to say, But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God is going to give it to you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Martha, do you believe this? Now, I want you to think about what Jesus is teaching Martha. Did you notice that two times Martha said, I know? You see, she knows something. But really, what she needed in that moment was not just that head knowledge of knowing something. She needs to know someone. Jesus said, you think you know about the resurrection? Well, Martha, I'm here to tell you, I am the resurrection. I am the life. You see, it's one thing to know about the Bible. It's one thing to know about the resurrection. It is a completely different thing to know the resurrection with a capital R who is Jesus Christ. It's one thing to know about eternal life. It's another thing to personally know the one who gives eternal life. And Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody gets to heaven. No one gets to God except that they go through me. Now, Jesus spoke the next sentence to kind of calm Martha's fear about Lazarus. He said in verse 25, He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Now, I really don't think Jesus is referring here to the fact that he is about to raise Lazarus out of the grave. I think what Jesus is saying is this. I am the resurrection and I am the life. I have power over death. So, whoever puts their faith and their trust in me, that person is going to live forever. That person will never die. Jesus is speaking about the resurrection of the dead. That's our hope. I mean, as a believer, that is our hope. So Jesus is saying, Martha, even though Lazarus has died, I am going to be his life. There is never going to be a moment when Lazarus is away from me, whether in life or in death, because he's trusted. And then Jesus speaks the next sentence for Martha, verse 26. And whoever lives and believes in me, that person shall never die. Now that's tremendous. That's a great statement you need to hear. What Jesus is saying is this, Martha, whatever happens with your brother, whatever darkness you personally have to face because of the death of your brother, I, I want you to know that I am going to be your life. And because you believe in me and because you have faith in me, Martha, you're never going to die. In fact, there is never going to be a single second when I am not going to be with you. Even if you yourself go through the darkness of physical death, you are going to wake up in eternal life. And you've got to remember, how was Jesus going to accomplish all of this? Well, it's our key verse, verse 4. Jesus said these things. That this sickness is not unto death, but it is for the glory of God. So that the Son of God might be glorified through it. The power of Jesus over physical death was demonstrated that day. When he called Lazarus out of the grave uh, grave alive. And he did this to show that he had the power over death. A greater death. He had the power not only over death, but He had the power over spiritual death. You see, the power of Jesus over spiritual death was going to be demonstrated just a few days later, a short time later, when Jesus would die on the cross as the atoning sacrifice for our own sin. He would be buried in a tomb just like Lazarus was buried in a tomb. But three days later... (laughs) By the power of God, Jesus would be raised, but not like Lazarus was raised. Now, follow me here because this is is important theologically. You need to understand this. Lazarus was not resurrected from the dead. Lazarus was resuscitated. He was reanimated. Life was given back to him because when he walked out of that tomb, he had the same old decaying body. And even though his life was extended for a short time, and by the way, there are at least 10 other people in the Bible who were resuscitated or reanimated. Lazarus went on to die again because his physical body gave out the second time. Not with Jesus. Jesus wasn't resuscitated, Jesus wasn't reanimated, Jesus was resurrected. When he came out of that tomb, he came out with this new resurrected body, never to die again. Jesus, in his resurrection, was the prototype for all believers. For what happened for Jesus when he died will one day happen for us. We'll pop out of that grave and we're going to have a new body. And we will live forever. Now, after speaking these life-changing truths into Martha's life, he asked Martha a question. Verse 26. Martha, do you believe this? Because I can't tell you how important that question is. Do you believe this? Notice what Jesus didn't say, though. Jesus didn't say, Martha, do you know this? (laughs) Because there is a world of difference between knowing and believing. I'm here to you, you can know everything that is in the Bible. You can know about God. You can know about Jesus. You can know about salvation. You can know about heaven, but never get there. Amen. Because if that's all you do is know, you're going to split hell wide open. It takes more than knowledge. So Jesus didn't ask Martha, do you know this? No, he said, Martha, do you believe this? Really, Jesus is asking, because I am the resurrection and the life, will you trust me to be your everything in life's darkest moments? Martha, do you believe? And really, church, listen to me. This is the single most important life question of all. Do you believe? You know what? Nothing else even comes close to that is the most important question of all. Do you believe? Because your answer to that question will determine your de- destiny for eternity. Heaven or hell. There's only one way into heaven. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. The only way you're going to get there is by believing in me. Do you believe? Do you believe? This whole weekend, uh, the, the big news story, I see it every, it tur- a look in the newspaper, turn on the TV, uh, get on the internet, look at Twitter. Everything is about the death of Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali, 74 years old, died this weekend. By his own admission, he was the greatest. <laughs> and i am tell you, he, he was pretty good. I, I grew up watching Cassius Clay, then Muhammad Ali boxing. I mean, he was awesome. He's awesome. The only man to ever be three-time world champion. He was a he, heavyweight champion. He was a great boxer. But I think what made Cassius Clay even bigger than when he was in the ring was his vibrant personality. Now, he, he, yeah, he did some questionable things, and he was very controversial, yes. But you know what? Everybody in the world at one time knew Muhammad Ali. That's why this Friday, when they have his burial in Louisville, Kentucky, it's going to be televised live, and people around the world, millions of people are going to be watching. So this is a newsworthy event. He was a very popular man. He died. But do you realize people are dying? It's like that. In fact, this year, 2016, 55.3 million people are going to die. On planet Earth. Get that. Wrap, try to wrap your mind around that. 55.3 million people will die in 2016. Every day, every day, today, June the 6th, 2016, 151,600 people are going to die today. Every hour, 6,316 people are dying. Every single minute, 105 people perish. Almost every second, two people are dying. Two, four, six, eight, ten. Ten people just died. Come on, people. You're wrapping your mind around that? People are dying. The most important thing in life is to answer this question correctly. Do you believe? How have you answered the question? Do you believe? It's more than just knowing, it's believing and belief leads to confession if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord after believing in your heart then you will be saved Heavenly Father I pray that you would speak to hearts in this room right now and there are some people here today who have never believed they have never believed in their heart they have never confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord Lord help them to understand the importance of answering the question this morning, do you believe with an affirmative? Lord, none of us in this room knows if we're going to even be here tonight for the Chili Supper, much less for next week's activities or next Sunday's sermon. So help us to answer that question correctly today. And if there is someone in this room who needs to come and confess Jesus as their Lord and believe in their heart, I pray that they would have the courage to come and pray. And do that. Lord, there may be someone in the room who just needs to come and recommit their life to you. Give them courage to come and pray. Lord, there are others that we just need your power. We need your help. Help us to come and pray for it. And then, dear Lord, there are a lot of people in this room who have a loved one, a family member, a friend, a co-worker. Who's lost and without Christ. They have no hope in their life. And if their name is called... If they pass off into eternity, they're going to do it without Christ, without hope, without faith, without their name being in the, written in the Lamb's book of life. So, dear Lord, give us a burden this morning to come and pray for them. And then go do something about it to witness to them. Lord, have your way. Speak to hearts. Draw people close to yourself. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?